Thank you for joining us here at Prevail Church for this podcast. We hope this experience builds your faith and impacts your life. For more information about Prevail Church, visit us online at prevail.tv. Now let's tune in. One more time. I trust in God, my Savior. Come on, y'all, sing it. Say, I trust, I trust in God, my Savior. Amen. Isn't God good? Can you put your hands together for Jesus? So I said, we're going to have to Amen. Man, that's some good worship today. Some good worship. Y'all be singing, buddy. I'll be singing. Well, somebody say, well. Happy fall. I don't know about y'all, but the tree this morning let me know it was October the 1st. When I walked outside, it dumped every leaf it could think of on my car. And um, I love fall. It's beautiful. But I don't like the leaves landing on my car. I just be praying a hedge of protection around my car and it don't ever work out like I think it should. I'm just kidding. But fall is a beautiful time of the year, amen? I love when seasons change, don't you? I don't know, is anybody like me? I know Aaron's probably going to laugh when I say this, but every time we have like a season change, it's like at least one day where I'm throwing away clothes and, you know, I'm... I'm cleaning out my closet, and I'm just, a lot of things are happening. And she's like, oh my God, it's Mercury retrograde. And I'm like, I just want to clean out my closet while it's got to be something connected to the moon. I'm just kidding. I think it's it's fun, and it's good. I love when seasons change. I also love when seasons change in life, amen? And I don't know if you, but I've been sensing this the last few weeks that we've had a change of season, not just naturally, but spiritually. In this church, in my own personal life, there's a change of season. Amen? And I want you to never be afraid, listen now, never be afraid to recognize that God may be changing up some things. Just because he's changing up some stuff. Amen? Don't mean that something's going on, something wrong. You might be shaking up some stuff for a little bit. You know, you be you look at some of those relationships that were important in one season, may be unnecessary in the next. Amen. Because you gotta recognize there's some people who just can't go where you're going. They would have caught that and just ran across the building. There's some people that can't go where you're going. There's some people that are not built for the ministry that God's placed in your heart. There's some people that are not built for the purpose and the destiny on your life. There are some people who can only 
stomach you while you're in pain. There's some people who will never be able to celebrate the victorious version of you. They need to see you down to feel good about themselves. But I'm here to announce to you today, season's changing. Somebody say, season's changing. So don't be alarmed when friends walk away from you. Oh, you think you're too good? Nah, I am better than I used to be. And if you can't handle that, I am too good. Okay. That wasn't my message. I want to encourage somebody. Stop chasing people that's running away from you. I feel the presence of the Lord on these words. I have done this for years and years of my life. This past week, I was thinking to myself, I said, you know, God, I'm tired of chasing relationships that don't add value to my life. I'm tired of chasing people who don't want to turn around and embrace me. Amen? Anyways, we're starting a brand new series today called Stockholm. Somebody say Stockholm. I'm excited about this series and I'm excited about the word of God today. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 3, verses 8 through 11. This is going to be a, a strong word. I hope you're ready for it. Amen? Somebody say, I'm ready. Look at your name and say, I'm ready. Genesis chapter 3, verses 8. We're going to read 8 through 11, and then we're going to skip over to Judges chapter 6 and read verses 11 through 16. It says this, And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of God among the trees in the garden. Then the Lord called to Adam and said, Where are you? Somebody say, where are you? You know, you know the word eating is, is promise. It's, it's this garden of promise. God is searching for Adam in the midst of promise, and he can't find him. Here's the crazy thing. God is all-knowing. Yet he still asks Adam, where are you? We'll unpack that in a later time. The all-knowing asking, where are you? Question. God called Adam and said to him, where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden. I'm sorry, I'm on a I want to pause there for a moment, okay? Because you go back to scriptures and it says that they, that God was, they heard the sound of God, Lord God, walking in the garden. And then he said, I heard your voice in the garden. And I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. 
And God said to Adam, who told you that? Who told you that? You were naked. Somebody say, who told you that? Who told you that you were naked? Let's go over to Judges chapter 6, verses 11 through 16. It says, now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree, which was in Ophrah, which belonged to Joaz the Abyssalite, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. Man, I'm getting my words right today. Look at that. The Lord, he's blessing. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him and said to him, The Lord is with you, mighty man of valor. Somebody say, The Lord is with you, mighty man of valor. Gideon said to him, Oh, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where is all his miracles which our fathers told us about? <laughs> Saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. Then the Lord said unto him, Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hand of of the Midianites, have I not sent you? So he said to him, Oh, my Lord, how can I save Israel? Somebody say, How can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you. Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. Amen? I'm on a mission to start this series off with a message that I've titled, Who Told You That? Somebody say, who told you that? Tap somebody on the shoulder and say, I don't want to bother you too much today. But I do got a question for you. Who told you that? Amen? Thank you, Lord, for what you're going to say. Pray to you, speak to me in Jesus' name. Amen. What is Stockholm Syndrome? We've kind of based this series on this idea of the Stockholm Syndrome. What is the syndrome? The syndrome, it refers to a bond that can develop between hostages and their captors. Man, um, and, and these bonds happen in mostly in a hostage-taking situation or some sort of like kidnapping or whatever. But in some cases, the hostages develop sympathies for the captor and their cause. Not just for the person, but sometimes they even develop sympathy for their cause. Man. And this causes this hostage sometimes to turn against the people that are trying to help them. You ever met uh, a, a, a woman who's so rattled by abuse 
where when you try to save them, she turns and lashes out at you? You ever met a, a, a man who's so, who's so bought into a job where they don't actually care for his personal life? And when you try to reach and save and, and tell them the truth, they turn on you? Becomes enamored or in love with the captor and their cause. Some uh, experts don't describe it as a disorder. They don't diagnose it as a disorder. They, they describe it as a psychological coping mechanism used to endure being held captive and abused. And literally, like, there's a switch in your brain that says, in order for me to survive, I got to buy in to my captor's cause and ignore the abuse. I have to, I have to embrace and love this individual who is constantly hurting me. I don't know if you've ever been in that situation or been a part of something like that. But it's not, it's not a pretty thing to be involved in. I remember when I was around 17 or 18, 17, I think it was, my mom, and I love my mom deaf, and I tell the story a lot because it helps to help to understand the cause and some of the things, but my mom was in a very abusive relationship. Amen? And when she was, one time I walked in on him abusing her, and I stepped in, because I'm 17, you hit my mama, we're finna go at it. Hands down. Amen? And I ain't trying to toot my own horn, but the abuser got beat up that day. Come on, nobody. People go, would you do it again? Yes, I would. I wish the Lord would have let me be in this size. I'm just kidding. I was skinty then, but. And so, so I stepped in to, to interact, to stop the abuse. But when the police showed up, my mom, and I love her, but she, she didn't speak up for me. She was so rattled by her abuse. So in, incapacitated by the, her captor, she wouldn't even speak up for her son. And that's what abuse will do to you. That's what being held in captivity does to the psyche. It causes you to believe that the one causing you harm actually loves you. Amen. Oh, y'all better get ready. It's going to be good right here. Golly. The Bible calls the law 
a slave master. The Bible denotes that the law essentially has enslaved us and given life to sin in our lives. And as the church today, we are so enamored with our abuser, the law, we will refuse to embrace the rescuer, Jesus. There are many churches this morning that preach hellfire and brimstone and say very little about Jesus. There are many churches that talk about Jesus, but they still bottle it and package it in the law. Jesus loves you, but you must do this to attain his love. Sacrifice your life. Give all God all you got. And he will love you. Tithe. Come on, somebody. And he will bless your finances. Don't tithe. You're cursed with a curse. We in church have become so enamored with our abuser, we are confused. This might want to fight with me today. The devil's alive. You better get it together. We've become confused. And we believe, hear me now, hear me now, that keeping the law saves us. While Jesus is beckoning us to come, but we're so in love with our list. It's real heavy in here right now, real quiet. Because I believe what the church faces today is actually a version of Stockholm. And I believe it's a coping mechanism because we don't truly believe that we've been set free. So we need a safety net. Jesus said, I came to make you free and free indeed. Come on, somebody. Well, Jesus, what is that freedom? Well, you're free. Tell me what, what, it, what it is. If I tell you something, it's not really freedom. If I give you something and say it's free, but you can only do it, use it this way, you're going to be like, huh. So it's, I guess... It's mine and I'm free to use it however I want it. 
Oh, yeah, no, you're free to use it however you want to use it, but you should do it this way. That's good advice, but if you do it any other way, I'm going to be very upset with you. But you're free to use it however you want to use it. That's not freedom. Come on, somebody. Jesus said, I came to offer you freedom and make you free indeed. Amen? But we're enamored with our captor. Religion. The law. And I believe the church suffers from this. And we look at the story today, and I believe we can see this with Gideon. Amen? As Christians, we believe our strength comes from God. But when push comes to serve, sometimes it can be hard to recognize that strength or access it. And often it's easier to retreat in fear than it is to stand up and face hardship and battles head on. Amen? It's easier to back up and say, I I can't handle this, than to stand up and be like, with God, all things are possible. Through, if any man being Christ, he's a new creature. Old things have passed away, all things have become new. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Amen? So we look at this, this Gideon story. Amen? In this Gideon story, the NASB version of the Bible says these words, it says that Israel was brought to very, was brought very low because of Midian. All right, so the Midianites had attacked Israel and they basically had enslaved them again. They left Egypt, one slave master, and ended up with the Midianites as another slave master. From slave master to slave master. Amen? And so they were at the lowest they had ever been. Instead of a land of flowing with milk and honey, they, had, they lived in the caves and they lived in the clefts in the rocks. Because they were too scared to face their enemy. What they planted in this time, the enemy destroyed almost automatically. And let's not even talk about livestock. Come on, somebody. They were struggling bad. It was bad for Israelites. As bad as it gets. Amen? The name Midian, somebody say Midian. The name Midian means strife. I want y'all to catch this revelation right here. The Israelites were being persecuted and they were being beat and they were being held captive and they were hiding in the rocks by strife. The Midians were certainly being true to their name with God's people Israel. Midian speaks to us 
of the strife and trouble that comes while walking this walk with Christ. Sometimes strife is caused by our own desires and sinful natures. Amen. And sometimes strife just happens in our life simply because we live in a fallen world. Whatever the source of our strife is, though, God uses all circumstances to teach us he is faithful. To teach us truth about ourselves. Amen? And as we will soon see in this story, to teach us that the best victories in our life often come when we are at the weakest points of our life. Amen. So it takes Israelites seven years to cry out to God. Seven years. Seven years they're going through this trial. And not one of them cries out to the Lord. Seven years of hell on earth and they don't even cry out to God. It takes them seven years to cry out. They were serving other gods. They were doing other things. Seven years to cry out. And when they cried out, listen to this now, the answer they got is not what they were used to getting. They were used to getting a judge. This time God sent a prophet. He sent a prophet instead of a judge. And listen, the prophet did two things. Somebody say prophet. Two things. First, he convicted or convinced the Israelites of their sin, which in the Old Testament, by the way, was unbelief. Come on. And the second thing he did was he showed them where they were wrong. Now, I don't know about you, but when I'm going through a storm or a trial and I cry out to the Lord, I don't need nobody to show me where I'm wrong. Amen. Usually I know why I'm wrong. Come on. <laughs> I don't want to hear from nobody. Don't you keep that away from me. I don't need to hear how I'm wrong. I just need you to answer me in my time of distress. But God doesn't respond to them like they normally want him to. He responds by sending the prophet. Why does God do this? I'm going to drop this in because there's a few things I just wanted to say before we get to where we're going. Amen? God does it this way, I believe, because God is always interested in breaking cycles, not just changing circumstances. Are you hearing me? He's interested in breaking cycles, not just changing circumstances. We pray, and we pray, God, come into my circumstance. Look at my circumstance. And God's looking at the cycle, yeah. Yeah. the generational cycle. 
I don't want to just free you from this. I want to free your bloodline from this. I don't want to just take you out of this problem. I want to change it for your entire bloodline, for what's coming after you. Listen, yeah, you may have financial problems now, but I'm trying to get you to understand and give you financial freedom that lasts for generations to come. And while you're praying God pay the bill, God's like, I am, I am wanting to break this cycle of debt and this cycle of not knowing how to have steward, you know, bad stewardship over your finances. I want to break this over your life because for generations to come, I want them to know that I am God. Oh. God, help me right now. I'm struggling with, you know, whatever issue. I'm breaking a cycle so your children and their children and their children and their children don't deal with the same thing that you dealt with. God answers them because I believe he's interested in breaking cycles, not just changing circumstances. Now, that's hard. But I guarantee if you got a revelation, listen now, listen. If you got this revelation, then when you were praying, when we were praying, I, see, this regularizes how I pray for stuff when it's going on in my life. When I'm having an issue, you know what I ask the Lord? What is the root cause of this issue? Yeah, God, I'm mad. And yeah, this is what I feel. And yeah, this is the circumstance. But what is the actual root of the circumstance? Because I want to deal with the root. Because if you change my circumstance, come on somebody, and I still got the same root planted, guess what it's going to do? Just keep growing. I'm going to regrow the same circumstance because I haven't uprooted the issue. Oh, y'all don't want to hear me when I'm preaching good, amen. So I'm out here like, why do I keep ending up in debt? Why do I keep having financial problems? Because we got to deal with the root, friend. I could give you $2 million, you'll be broke in three days. If we don't get the root right. Oh, Jesus. He's always interested in breaking cycles, not just changing circumstances. So he deals with the root. Israel's sin was that they had forgotten God. Unbelief. It wasn't that God wasn't number one in their life anymore. It was that he, he wasn't allowed to play a part in their life at all. Seven years. They were enjoying blessings. And ignoring the blesser. That's a word right there. Seven years, bro. And they finally cry out to him. So this prophet comes, he convinces Israel of their issue, and then God begins the deliverance. The angel of the Lord, not just the Lord himself, uh, not just an angel, but the Lord himself comes and picks a vessel, and he, uh, he picks this vessel that he will use to deliver Israel, and it's the mighty warrior, Gideon. Which, by the way, Gideon doesn't even know. 
I'm going to deliver and answer Israel's prayer. I'm going to answer their cry out to me, and I'm going to answer them with a mighty warrior named Gideon, who I ain't even talked to yet. He don't even know, but he's a mighty warrior. God answers them by calling Gideon a mighty warrior, and Gideon doesn't even know it. I'm going to pause for the calls for a minute and just say that I love that God knows stuff about me that I'm completely unaware of. Amen. When all I see is failure, God is on the other side going, I can't wait to show you how this test becomes a testimony and how this mess becomes a message. Amen. I'm so glad that God knew me before I knew me. Come on. He formed me in my mother's womb. He had a plan and a destiny set out for me way before time the war was even formed. Amen? So God shows up and he's talking to Gideon. But when we get introduced to Gideon, there's a couple of things I want to point out real quick before we dive into this thing. The first thing we get to see from Gideon is Gideon is actually, in fact, a man who doesn't give up easily. He doesn't give up easily. Listen, in the midst of Midian's strife, in the midst of all of what the Midianites are doing to them, Gideon, the Bible says, is found threshing wheat in a wine press. Why is he doing this? He's doing this so that the food won't be destroyed. This is not a normal practice, but Gideon is a man who doesn't give up easy. I'm going to thresh this wheat. Come on. I'm going to thresh this wheat. And he's in there threshing wheat on a wine, in a wine press. Protecting the food from the Midianites. Gideon is already operating like a mighty man, a mighty warrior. Are you hearing this? He's threshing wheat so the food won't be destroyed, and he is determined. Sometimes we can already be operating in godly strength, while seemingly doing mundane things. You think you're just serving here and there, but you're really planting seeds of greatness. Amen? You ever heard those stories where somebody goes on as, you know, a football coach, invests time in a young man, and the next person goes on to be a world changer, and they look back and they go, I want to thank my coach. And the coach is like, what? You did this? Because, man, you was a knucklehead. Come on, somebody. But sometimes the mundane things like threshing wheat in a wine press is actually anointed things for greatness. Okay? Sometimes these little things like cleaning the church is actually anointing for prepping somebody 
for a life change. That when they step through these doors, they're going to encounter Jesus. And guess what? They won't be distracted by nasty smell or dirty flows. Amen. Sometimes the little mundane things like just getting up early in the morning, getting to church on time. Come on, somebody. Maybe that somebody sees your smile who needed a smile and didn't get one all week long, but you showed up on time and you smiled and their life was changed. Sometimes when you're in the store and somebody breaks in front of you and you don't snap back. Come on. You know what I'm talking about. It's mundane, but it might be God's anointing you. Come on, because if you would have snapped back, they would have probably been broken to the point where they didn't know. And they probably didn't even realize that they broke in front of you. But your snapback would have changed the course of how they viewed the rest of their day. But you held your tongue. And you like, oh, man, I really wanted to go out. But you were anointed for that moment to keep your mouth shut. Somebody say the mundane things. Don't overlook. Bishop Tony Miller used to say this, Fred. He used to say, Fred, big doors swing on small hinges. We are always searching for the great, great, forgetting that great hinges on small. And what may seem mundane and unimportant may be just the catalyst that changes somebody's life. Amen. So I got a few questions for us today. Because we see Gideon here doing a mundane thing. But the angel talks to him. And his response is interesting. The first question I have is, do you have the Gideon complex? I call it the Gideon complex. Somebody say the Gideon complex. Gideon doesn't exactly feel like a valiant warrior. Amen? Doesn't feel like a mighty warrior that the Lord calls him. And as for delivering Israel by himself... It's, he calls it crazy talk. <laughs> In fact, Gideon identifies more as a weakling than as a warrior. Are you hearing me? He says, you know the, the entire Manasseh tribe, God? You know that tribe? Well, my family... Is the bottom of the barrel. Dead last. Like, we are the most insignificant family in Manasseh. And yep, I'm the youngest and the weakest in this insignificant family. Since he's saying to God, you have bet on the wrong horse, my friend. You're talking to the wrong person. I don't even know who you're talking to. Essentially, Gideon is going, who, me? You ever done that guy come to you and say, hey, I'm going to use you to do great that. Who, me? Are you talking? God? 
You gotta say it. You gotta say it just like that. You didn't pray just like Lord. I want to. I want to. Want to do. You ever felt like that? That you don't have much of anything to offer to God? You don't have much of anything to offer to God's purpose or plan for the earth? You ever feel like you don't have anything that, that makes you significant or stand out or makes you whatever? Just feels like I'm just here. I'm just living my life, and I'm, th- I'm, I'm, I'm doing my best to survive. I'm not even thriving. I'm just surviving. I don't know why God even has me here on earth. If he took me home, I'd be fine. You ever felt like that? Well, you have the Gideon factor. The Gideon complex. And it just may be, just may be, and if you can get your eyes off yourself for a moment, this is the very thing that propels you into being the candidate for which God will change the world. God, I'm weak. God, I can't do it. Notice the first words the angel says to Gideon. The Lord is with you. Mighty man of valor. (laughs) He doesn't come up to him and say, hey, mighty man of valor. He says, the Lord is with you, mighty man of valor. Of valor. Right on the onset, he denotes you are mighty, not by yourself, but with the Lord. Amen? And this is important to understand because God multiplies what, or he got, God multiplies what we try to add. Amen? Somebody say, God will be with you. God multiplies what we try to add. I want y'all to hear these words. Listen to this now. One God plus one weakling. Are you hearing this? You ready? Ready for this revelation? One God plus one weakling is always a majority in any fight. But God, I don't know what I'm going to do. This demon is too big to handle. And God's like, I know. But when I'm with you, we're always a majority in the fight. We're always causing things to lean in our favor. The battle is already rigged because when God is with you, the Bible says who in the world can be against you? If the Lord is for you, come on, somebody, who can be against you? Thankfully, 
God says to Gideon, I will be with you. Somebody say, I will be with you. I will be with you. The words of the Lord, I will be with you. Listen, and this is all we ever need to know is that God is with us and we should want this ourselves to know that God is with us through every trial, through every situation, through everything that we're facing in our entire life. God is with us. We should want these words to hear these words. God is with us. Amen. Thankfully, this was enough for Gideon to know and his focus on his own inadequacies were not so deep-rooted that it stopped him from being obedient. But Gideon wanted things confirmed many times. You might go read the scripture. He kept asking God, confirm this, confirm that, confirm that. And the Lord would do it. Gideon is a beautiful story. Somebody say a beautiful story. It's a beautiful story. It really is. It's, it's quite a beautiful story. I love to hear the story of this, this young man who's struggling with his identity, and God's like, no, nah, bro, this is not who you are. I'm going to tell you who you are. You are a mighty man of valor. You are great. I have great things in store for you. Man, it's a beautiful story. But I was thinking about this this week. Y'all ready for this now? I was thinking about this week, and I believe the Holy Spirit dropped a question in my heart. The question is, who told you that? Somebody say, who told you that? Who told you that? Joash was the father of Gideon. He was of the clan, clan of Abazir, and he was the tribe of Manasseh. Listen, the, Gideon declares this, that his family is the poorest and the weakest in Manasseh. Right? This is kind of words similar to what Saul said. But hear me, these words are not to be taken literal. His father would be a man of great standing and wealth. Understand this, Gideon was able to command ten servants to destroy the altar. Are you hearing me? He was also able to summon the whole clan to follow him. Think about this now. He walks away from this conversation with God. I'm weak. I, I'm nobody. But God has to trim his clan down to 300. He was able to call that many people. But he was weak. Are y'all picking up where I'm going with this? He had influence, but something in his mind didn't make him believe it. Mm. He was able to summon a whole clan to follow him. Further, furthermore, the altar that his dad had, uh, uh, had used, that his dad had was used by the community. Like the altar that they, people that came to pray, it was used by the community. 
so that he would be the priest, not only of his family, but other families. But also of the, vir- of the community in virtue of his position as chief. Now listen, when Gideon destroyed the altar, his dad refused to deliver his son to death. And declared that Baal, if he was God, should avenge himself. And nobody blinked an eye. And Gideon describes this as weak, small, insignificant. Who told you that? I believe this week the Holy Spirit dropped a question in my spirit that I could not shake. And the question was, who convinced Gideon that he was weak? Who convinced Gideon that he was weak? The evidence of his clan being the smallest and the weakest is from Gideon himself. The evidence of Gideon himself being poor and weak is from Gideon himself. But the evidence in the Bible don't line up with his words. Okay. Because his dad has influence. They call in shots. Amen. And Gideon, when you find him, he's threshing wheat. Excuse me, but I don't know if you've ever dealt with wheat before. It's not a light task. Okay. They quiet in his case. Who told Gideon he was weak? Who told Gideon he was poor? Who told Gideon he was a nobody? Who led Gideon to believe this was his lot in life? I wonder if it was maybe doing a training session in the art of combat that a a mentor told Gideon he was weak. I wonder if he was assumed he was the weakest because of his stature. Maybe he wasn't, you know, as big as everybody else. Come on, somebody. I wonder if a parent told him he was weak. Who told Gideon he was weak? And why is he now repeating these very exact words later in life? I believe that Gideon has fallen in love with his oppressor. Gideon has fallen in love with this oppressive mindset that says, I am weak. I am nobody. Now I know I know most people preach this and they say, when you're weak, God is strong. When you're this and that. But God never calls him weak. Read the scripture. God never even affirms his weakness. We made it church lingo, right? 
And I get it. Yeah, when, when, he, when we're weak, he is strong. I'm not taking away from that. But God never affirms his weakness. God never affirms his fears. God never affirms his negative talk about himself. Not once. Go read the scripture. He doesn't affirm it. He keeps coming back with, we're going to be all right. Go in this mighty yours. I'll be with you. We're going to take him down, bro. I'm weak, dog. I just got... Bro, we got this. We good. Come on, man. Gucci. I'm with you. If I'm with you, we rolling out. Oh, God, man. I'm, you know, I'm the weakest in the clan. My family's in. Listen, if I'm in the, in the passenger seat, we good. Amen. I believe Gideon is being held captive by to an oppressive mindset, a mindset developed by the environments and people around him. Oh my God, y'all don't want me to touch that right there too much. I think for a lot of us, the environments and the people in our life have developed this idea of who we are. Amen. And for many of us, that was church. Oh, <laughs> and church told us we were no good and we were dirty and we were stinking and God didn't want us. But I'm here to tell you that is not true. It's the furthest thing from the truth. He has been developed by the environments and people around him. Furthermore, I believe that Gideon is so in love with this oppressive mindset, he even argues with God, who created him, by the way, with the name that God was placing on him. He's so in love with his oppressor that when God shows up and says, mighty warrior, he says, who, me? Somebody say, who, me? Who told Gideon he was weak? Who told Gideon he was weak? Now, listen, I'm going to say it again. I don't want to bother you too much, but I'd like to pose this question before we leave today. Who told you that? Somebody say, who told you that? Look at your name and say, who told you that? Who told you that? Who told you that you were a nobody? Who told you that you'll never amount to anything? Who told you that you're just full of fear? Who told you that you're disgrace? Who told you that you're not enough? Who told you you're not worthy of the best? Who told you you're going to fail just like you always do? Who told you that? Who told you your marriage would not last? Who told you you'll always be sick? Who told you you'll never heal because people, you'll never heal because people don't usually make it out of this? Who told you this? Who told you you're going to lose everything you have? Who told you this is the end? You're, you're just going to just, you just need to go ahead and give up now. Who told you this? Who told you that you are just a dirty sinner and that God is mad at you and that God is punishing you? And you're going through this obviously because you disobeyed God. Who told you this? 
Who told you you'll always be depressed and full of anxiety and you'll never be happy and you'll never experience real joy and you'll never experience real peace? Who told you this? Who told you you'll always be broke? Who told you you should just settle for the job that you have and be happy? told you? Who told you that? I got one more question for you. Who told you that? And here's my other question. And this is going to be a hard one. And why are you so in love with your captor and his cause? Why are we so in love with our captor and its cause? I know it's hard. And I know things get tough. But you can't put a label on you that don't line up with God's word. I know we're working through things and we're trying to figure stuff out. Come on, somebody. But just because you're going through it doesn't mean that it has to stay with you. Your journey is not your destination. It's just a journey. You're not defined by your journey. Come on, somebody. If I say I'm going to a certain place, I'm not going to tell everybody the way I'm taking to get there. I'm telling you where I'm going. Oh, 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 come on, listen now. I'm flying to Boston later on. You know what? I just said I'm flying. You ain't got to know what airline I'm going on. You ain't got to know what things are. You know I'm going to the city of Boston, and I'm flying. But what you don't get to experience is during that journey, I got to deal with the airport. In the airport, you up in the airport, they get on your last. Somebody say last. Last. Last nerve. And depending on who you got, it might be a good day or a bad day. They may want to check you all the way down. They may be like, you got metal in your armpit and all kinds of stuff. You get what I'm saying? It doesn't matter. Because you, you don't, listen, the journey doesn't matter to you. It's the destination. And I'll go through the journey to get to my destination. I'll go through the pat-downs or whatever I need to do because I know where I need to end up at. Come on, somebody. And I'm here to tell you, your journey, yeah, it may be full and, and, and rigged with certain things, hurt, disappointment, failures, all kinds of stuff. But the journey is not your destination. Why are you so in love with the captor? And it's cause. The cause of the capture is to keep you trapped. Believing you deserve what you got. Believing you don't deserve more. Believing that you are not 
enough, believing that you, all these words that have been spoken over your life are true. But I came here today to declare that the devil is a liar. I'm going to say it again. I came to declare that the devil is a liar. The words that were spoken of you are not true. Come on, somebody. You will not be uh, a drug addict for the rest of your life. You will not be strung out on this and that for the rest of your life. You will not struggle with pornography for the rest of your life. You will not struggle with all these things for the rest of your life. The devil is a liar. And I declare right now in the name of Jesus that you hear the voice of the Lord, that you are a child of the King. Hear the voice of the Lord today, sons and daughters of God. You are no longer slaves. You are sons and daughters of the Lord. You are no longer held captive to sin. You are free and free indeed. You are no longer guided by fear. You are guided by faith. You are no longer these things. You are already healed. I don't feel it in my body. You're already healed. At the cross, you were made whole. At the cross, God set the whole world right with himself. You're already delivered. Well, I'm still struggling. Every night, Pastor Fred, I struggle. Every night. I'm I'm looking at things that I don't want to look at, and I don't know why I'm looking at them. You're already delivered. Why are you so in love with your captain? You're already delivered. You're already made whole. You are enough. You are not a failure. Man, I feel like When I wrote that down, I almost cried. I need you to hear this as your pastor and for some of you as as a father to you in the faith. And it's it's hard for me to say that because if if y'all know the people that are around me, I've struggled with it. I have people go, man, you're supposed to be my spiritual father. And I'm like, (laughs) but I feel like in this moment as a father to some of you in the faith, You need to hear these words from a father. You are not a failure. Well, I dropped the ball. You just dropped the ball. That doesn't make you a failure. You are not a failure. You are loved and you are loved unconditionally. You are made righteous. You are the beloved children of God. Who told you anything different? Adam and Eve in the garden. First verse we were at. They're communing with God. They are together with God. Everything is right. Everything is perfect. And the moment they have been convinced that something was, that God was holding something back from them. Is the moment they begin to hide themselves from God. The Lord says this. This is what I heard the Lord say. 
Some of you, the struggle is for you is that you got too many voices speaking into your life. What do you mean forever? You're reading this book, you're reading that book, you're studying about this, you're doing all this stuff. I'm struggling because you got too many voices. Sometimes, can I say this? I think sometimes we fill up our life with things because we are scared to be still and pray and listen. Maybe you don't do that. I do that. But God, if, if I sit here long enough, I'm going to get tired. And we'll fill it with a bunch of things, Casey. We'll, we'll try to do a bunch of things. Because to sit and hear God scares us. Because God is going to begin to speak truth to us that we may not believe right now. I'm landing this plane. I wanted to say this to you today. Who told you these things? I liken this as a hostage situation. And I'm the negotiator. Standing between you and God. And your hostage person. And I need you to hear me. As someone being held captive. There's someone here who loves you better. Who loves you and won't emotionally abuse you. Who won't manipulate you. He just wants to be good to you. Why? What do I have to do for him? Nothing. Listen, that is opposite to what church has taught us. That is opposite to what church has taught us. Church taught us that God wants something from you. And you better give it to him. I'm sorry, how can you give your life to God when he gave you the life you had? I'm giving it back to him. You never owned it. You ever thought about that? The breath in your body didn't come from you. It's from him. And he breathed the breath of life into man. Well, I'm going to give my life back. God's like, your life was never yours. Well, I squandered it. That didn't change your identity as a son or a daughter. See, we believe the lie that our decisions created separation. And it did until Jesus showed up. After Jesus, separation is illusion. Amen? Who told you that? Who told you that? Will you stand with me?
God, we are forever grateful. We are forever grateful that you fight for us. Your word says that we can be found in your presence. We can be found resting in your strength, resting in your peace. And I pray, God, that right now, in the name of Jesus, that people all in this room and people listening to this on the web and podcasts, whatever time they're listening, they will recognize, Father, that your word, your voice, what you say is true. God, give us the strength to answer the question, who told us these things? Give us the strength to wrestle with this and, 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 and to recognize, Lord, that your thoughts on us are good. And I thank you for what you're going to do in our hearts. Thank you for the lives represented in this room. And Father, I I I just sense right now in this room, God, that there is a peace that surpasses all understanding. Man, I, I don't know. I've been I've been at this this all the whole service. I don't know who it is, but the Lord says, peace I give to you. You are tormented because you really don't know what the outcome is going to be. But the Lord says these words, I give you peace. Thank you, God, that you're breaking chains and that we are day by day recognizing that you have blessed our lives. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Come on, put your hands together real quick. Thank you for joining us here at Prevail Church for this podcast. We hope this experience builds your faith and impacts your life. For more information about Prevail Church, visit us online at prevail.tv. Now let's tune in.